Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nothing But Net, where we talk just about basketball. Uh, today, we've got a lot on the slate. We've got some March Madness, also called March Sadness. We have some NBA stuff, some high school, and a little bit of NCAA women's tournament action. So we're going to start with something that is close to both Mason and I's heart, and that is Kansas losing in the Elite Eight to Oregon. Um, as you know, last year they lost in the Elite Eight to Villanova. Uh, and as you also know, Villanova won the title, so it was it was questionable whether or not Villanova should have been a two-seed, especially in the number one overall seeds region. This year, Oregon was the one that beat Kansas, and they were the three-seed. Uh, you can also question whether or not they should have been a three-seed in Kansas's region. They were 33-5 and five this season, and when they had their best player, they only had three losses. Um, so, Mason, do you think that they were underseeded? Um, I think they probably were, but I think at the end of the day, it, it wasn't – I don't think – Kansas would have had to play a good team at that point anyway. I don't think the reason that we lost was because they were underseeded. I think that they just had the game of a lifetime, and Kansas just, you know – didn't show up that game, and that happens when you have a single elimination tournament. I mean, in, in my opinion, um, you don't judge somebody by necessarily how many national titles they have, but you know if they're consistently making the tournament and performing well, at least you know getting somewhere in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, and that, and you bring that up about judging someone based on their tournament uh, success. I mean, obviously the Hall of Fame doesn't because Bill Self just got into the Basketball Hall of Fame recently, uh, and he hasn't had the the best of success in the tournament. But you also bring up Oregon having a great game, 51% from the field, 44% from three-point line. And if you watch the game, a lot of contested shots, especially Tyler Dorsey making some really tough shots. He went 6 of 10 from three-point land. And then in their loss to North Carolina last night in the Final Four, 38% from the field and 27% from three. And I just saw so many things on Twitter about how many open threes they were missing. It was honestly kind of ridiculous, the fact that UNC won that game with the number of open three-point shots that they were giving up. But that's what you get when you have a single elimination tournament. Some days you're hot and some days you're not. And Oregon was definitely not in the game against North Carolina. Um, So um, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd just say I'm glad Bill Self got recognized um, and is in the Hall of Fame now. I think he definitely deserves it. And even though he does get a lot of, I think, crap from people for only having one national title, I mean, even that is still a huge accomplishment, having a national title and two Final Four appearances. I saw an article, I think it was on 538 or something, that said like he actually had a, a, a higher percentage than average uh, or what you would expect of him for making the Elite Eight. So I think a lot of people judge it based on Final Fours and, and, and national titles and obviously we'll look at his losses to like Bucknell and BCU and teams like that but you know take a step back and he's consistently making deep tournament runs even if those ones like Bucknell do stand out more yeah you bring up a good point I think the main thing is he has the most consistency in terms of regular season success of any of the coaches in maybe history of college basketball and because of his regular tournament regular season success um, he always gets a high seed, and sometimes talent wins in the tournament. And even if Kansas doesn't have the best talent, they're going to have a great regular season. 
And so, you know, to the casual fan, it's like, oh, Kansas is a number one seed. They just, they always get upset. Well, sometimes the other team's just better, and that's that's the way it is. And like we said earlier, sometimes the other team is better on that particular day. So uh, Bill yeah. Self, definitely worthy of the Hall of Fame nod, I think, and definitely up there. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that he does have that national championship because without that, I, I'm not sure if he gets into the Hall of Fame this year. Do you think that... Um, we should change the format of the NCAA tournament to where it's easier for the best team to win the title. Do you think we should do that? And then two, do you think it will ever happen? Uh, I'll answer the second question first. No, I don't think that's ever going to be a a possibility. Um, But the way we have it right now is just like everything in sports is maximizing revenue for the schools, for the um, television networks, um, just for everybody. And so I don't think that's going to happen, mainly for that reason. And second, secondly, because you have to have at least 32 teams in the tournament um, if you're going to be fair, because there's 32 conferences. Um, and the winner, you have to give at least the winner of each conference a sh- shot. And so with that many teams, there's no way that you can make any more fair way than to just have everybody play a single elimination. Um, it's, it's more fair. It's, this is one of the big things that I don't like about college footballs. Um, postseason you know but just essentially if you're not a power five team you have no chance of winning the national title uh, um for those group of five conferences that, you know absolutely no shot it's just never going to happen um so i like that about college basketball but the, you, i agree the downside of that is that um it's always going to be single elimination because you can't have 32 teams play multiple game series to determine a title yeah, no, I agree with you there. It's it's really an impossible thing uh, to accomplish. That I don't think the tournament's ever going away. It makes so much money right now, and uh, I do agree with you about the the power non power five teams getting a chance. I heard a lot of talk last year about you know group of five schools in football. What are they even playing for? I mean, maybe get into a New Year's Six bowl. Uh, play in a bowl game but th- there's no shot at the national championship and that brings us to the next thing we're going to talk about last year we had a non-power five team win the basketball championship and that could happen again this year gonzaga and north carolina playing for the title game tomorrow night i personally think uh, gonzaga is going to win 538 currently has gonzaga at a 62 percent chance to win whereas vegas has UNC by one and a half points. So obviously a very tight game right there. Uh, Gonzaga, even though maybe not a whole lot of people have heard about the guys in their team, they have talent. They have two McDonald's All-Americans. They got a couple guys who transferred in from Power 5 schools that were starters there. And they have one of the best foreign talent uh, recruiting you know, sectors in all of college basketball. I mean, they have Shemek Karnowski right now and Killian Tilly, who are, are great big men for them. And in the past, they've had DeMontis Sabonis and, and Kelly Olenek and guys like that. And so they bring in a ton of talent from foreign countries, and you add that to the talent they've brought in from uh, American teams and from other colleges, and they've got a really solid team this year. UNC... I, I mean, as, as great as it is that they're gonna get they're gonna get a chance to redeem themselves after last year, they're not as good as last year, and I I just I don't see them as the best team in the tournament. Some people thought you know they're they're not really worth a one seed. Some people uh, wanted Duke to be up there instead of North Carolina. Duke winning two of three against the Tar Heels this year, 
and and so I think that uh, I would rather have Gonzaga win the tournament. I personally I like it when one of the you know top four or five teams in the country, in my opinion, wins the tournament. And like we talked about it earlier, uh, South Carolina. Yeah, you know, not one of the top four teams, but they made the final four. I I like to see it turn out the way that it should. I like to see the best team win it all, and I think that the best team remaining is Gonzaga. Um, so who 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 do you have in this game? You know, I, don't, I think this one's going to be pretty much a toss up. Whoever has a this more this kind of a, a John Madden cop out, but I think really whoever's going to have a better shooting night comes in more focused is going to win this game. I don't think one team is particularly more talented than the other. They're both obviously very well coached. Uh, um, they both play more of a traditional style than you see in today's uh, college game. They have, they both have, you know, two or three solid big men that are actually big men, not like starting Josh Jackson at the four. Not that that didn't work out for Kansas, but these these teams have real power forwards and real centers, so that'll be fun to see. Um, but I agree with you. I think UNC's team is not as good as it was last year. Um, so I guess if I had to choose, I'd probably pick Gonzaga. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I do want to bring up before we move on is how these teams are built. And it's interesting. I I saw an article on ESPN the other day. I I didn't read it, but essentially the idea of it was you – or no, maybe it was on the ringer. I think it might have been on the ringer. But the idea of it was great college basketball teams nowadays like Gonzaga and North Carolina are built – from good recruits, not great recruits, but good recruits that don't necessarily have great NBA potential. You know, they they kind of have that one or two characteristics about them that are that are pushing scouts away from them. Maybe they can't defend in the NBA. Maybe they're they're not tall enough for their position. But the idea of it was getting someone like Rico Gathers for four years is a lot better for your program than getting a Ben Simmons for one year. And that's what these two teams have done. You got guys like Nigel Williams-Goss, Josh Perkins, Shemek Karnowski for Gonzaga, who, you know, Karnowski, he's a huge dude, maybe won't be able to defend in the NBA, but he's dominant on the college level. Nigel Williams-Goss, Probably the same thing. Josh Perkins was kind of a fringe uh, four-star recruit who has really been steady for them. And then for UNC, you got guys like Joel Berry, who is a very good shooter, but with a crop of point guards in the NBA already, he is not going to be a starter. And then Justin Jackson, who is a pretty good prospect, but he's got some glaring weaknesses. And then Kennedy Meeks is similar to Karnowski in that he can score and rebound at an elite level on the college stage but not necessarily in the NBA. So you bring these guys in, you develop them for three or four years like the college game used to, and then maybe you sprinkle in some one-and-dones here and there. Uh, you've seen some teams do that. Duke has had some success with that in recent years. Kentucky, obviously, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum with that. But it seems like that's the way to win in college now, and I'm really excited about that because the one-and-done era is not the way that college basketball should be played. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. Look at the four number one seeds from this year, Villanova, Kansas, Gonzaga, UNC. All four of those teams are built primarily on on veteran players, and then they have, like you said, some of those guys sprinkled in. I think the most glaring one, obviously, is Josh Jackson on on Kansas. but, But even then, Kansas was built on senior Frank Mason, senior Landon Lucas, junior Devontae Graham, uh, um, and then all those guys off the bench that are that are definitely not freshmen. Um, 
and I agree. I think that that's going to be that's going to continue to be the way to win, um, with the exception of Duke and definitely Kentucky. Like you mentioned, that's still how everybody recruits and still how everybody wins. Um, and another point that you brought up that you know we like to think that basketball is basketball no matter what level you're playing at, but it really does. Um, basketball really is different at the college level than it is in the NBA level, um, and you can be dominant in one area in the college game and it doesn't matter at all in the NBA game and I think the best example of that was that Duke team that won the national title when they had Julie Lopefor, um and who was it, Tyus Jones? Is that who it was? Yeah, Tyus Jones and uh, Justice uh, Winslow. Yes, and you know those guys, all three I think are, were on NBA contracts at one point, I don't know if they all still are but um, none of those guys are going to be superstars in the NBA but those are the type of guys that had had the skill set to dominate at the college level. Um, Julia Locafor was the type of post player that you want at the college level. Obviously, it's not the type that you want at the NBA level. But I think, with the exception of the Kentucky team, the one with Anthony Davis, um, you know, NBA teams built on NBA style talent typically don't win in the NCAA. You know, Julia Locafor was so dominant in college. He honestly probably should have won Player of the Year. Uh, but at the NBA level, he can't defend. And I think NBA teams are even seeing that now. So maybe in the future, if a Julia Lokifer comes along, he doesn't, he's not a one and done, you know, maybe he stays a few more years and Duke wins more titles, but that's, that seems like the way the team should go recruiting wise in college is get guys that have those weaknesses that don't have those uh, NBA potential abilities that can dominate on the college level because they are two separate games. Um, so last thing I want to talk about on the college level uh, before we move on to some recruiting is the conference implications of the tournament. We talk about conference implications in football and in basketball when it comes to the postseason and how much of an impact uh, the postseason has on the strength of the conference. This year, you know, SEC, not known for basketball. They had three teams in the Elite Eight, obviously one in the Final Four, whereas the ACC struggled with a lot of early losses and and some exits obviously unc in the title game but the acc struggled in in the first few rounds and i remember you actually sending me an article uh pretty much saying this cements the acc as being an overrated league so i mean what are your thoughts on that yeah i just thought that was an interesting article i thought it was funny that was i don't necessarily share the opinion that the acc was overrated because of their tournament performance I think overall they were a little bit overrated this season, but I don't think that any sort of NCAA tournament playout um, proves that or disproves that. Um, I'll fall back on the answer that I gave at the beginning of this podcast. It it is all about matchups, and it is all about who's hot um, at the right time. We all know that even though the SEC had three teams in the Elite Eight, that overall they're they're garbage in basketball. I mean, they're just not a good conference, especially compared to, um, you know, Conferences like the Big 12 and uh, the ACC and used to be the Big East and, and in most years the Big Ten. Um, I, you know, they, they are not – obviously they're the dominant team in football, um, but I don't – I mean, sorry, the dominant conference in football, they're just not up there in basketball. And on that same – that was kind of a kind of a sidetrack, but I was talking to somebody at work and he was saying he was so proud of the SEC for having uh, those three teams in the Elite eight, Elite eight and this guy's like an Arkansas fan. And he was like rooting for – South Carolina and Florida and Kentucky, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't, I don't understand why they do that in football, but in basketball, it still, it doesn't make any sense to me because um, I root against other Big 12 teams. 
like and then you know no matter what it's just like they're rivals so i don't understand what this sec pride is about but i don't think i'll ever understand it yeah conference pride is an interesting thing that you bring up i mean you always hear like during football season uh, the people that chant sec when you know when alabama wins the title it's like oh you know we're the greatest conference and we're so proud of that it is interesting because they're rivals everyone in the conference is going to be rivals with each other so why are you cheering for them um but yeah i mean like you said it's all about matchups uh, the SEC, I mean, Kentucky and Florida have always been good, at least, you know, Florida since Billy Donovan got there, and now Mike White is carrying them through. South Carolina, a little bit of an anomaly this year. Frank Martin, great coach, used to be at K-State, kind of brought the program back to life. But in terms of depth, not a great conference. Uh, you know, they, they are rising a little bit, but still not as good as uh, conferences like the ACC and the Big 12. So, I mean, that's pretty much all to say about that. We'll move on to some recruiting news. Um, Michael Porter Jr., uh, number one recruit in the 2017 class, was committed to Washington. Washington recently fired their head coach, Lorenzo Romar. Uh, No surprise, really. They haven't been good since he's been there. He brings in some serious NBA talent. Uh, Most notably, I mean, Markel Fultz may be number one this year. They've had, you know, Marquise Chris drafted, Terrence Ross drafted. They've had some seriously good talent there, but he's just not produced wins. And so uh, Conzo Martin, used to be the coach at Cal, uh, decided to go to Mizzou after Kim Anderson was fired. And once he heard that Michael Porter Jr. had decommitted from Washington, he signed Michael Porter Sr. to a contract as an assistant coach. Porter decides, hey, I'm going to go play for go play for Mizzou for my dad. What do you think about that? Yeah, I have no idea why this is legal. Um, the NCAA, as we know, and as Jay Billis loves to point out, has some pretty ridiculous rules um, about who you can transfer, you know, who you can transfer to, when you can decommit, how many years you have to sit out for certain, um, you know, for, for certain uh, recruiting violations and all this different stuff but it's like it was, it was pretty clear unless i'm severely you know mistaken and that michael porter senior is some really good assistant coach um he was hired because of his son and actually his son's plural um and i mean that's just the fact of the matter um and there's no way around that and mizzou essentially is paying for the porter brothers to go there so Sure, I guess it's legal because they're not actually paying the Porter Brothers directly, but it's about as sketchy as can be. Yeah, I think I think really the only way that they could justify it is uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're from that area. Their family is from that area. And so when Michael Porter announced he was going there, he said, like, I'm coming home or something like that. I think he's from St. Louis. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But. That, yeah, I mean, I essentially agree with you. It, it is like they're paying them to go there. And you mentioned the brothers. I, I didn't, I didn't mention that. But Jante, his younger brother, is a center, five-star center for next year. He is considering reclassifying to play with his brother there. So that would be insane for Mizzou and for the SEC if they got two five-star talents next year. I mean, they'd probably both be gone. But still, that would be crazy for them. Um, some other. That's still no guarantee that they'd even be good, though. That's that's you know, that's a fair point. I mean, we, we've seen with Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz. I mean, those teams were really bad, didn't even make the tournament. So it, that's true. But it, it would be nice for them to produce NBA talent because it seems like a lot of people look at that 
as a gauge of basketball success nowadays. Four and number five on the recruiting list for this year uh, still have yet to commit. There are a few other guys uh, in terms of five stars that have not committed, but I have not paid attention to them as much. And so I don't think it'd be qualified to make predictions here. But there are Trayvon Duval, number four, number one point guard. He's considering Duke, Kansas, Baylor, Seton Hall, and Arizona. I think he'll probably go to Duke. Uh, I think we're going to see a max exodus, a mass exodus from Durham this year. I think probably Luke Kennard is gone. Jason Tatum definitely. Jason Tatum and Harry Giles are already gone. Chase Jeter, one of their centers, is transferring. I think you know this year was kind of a bust year for them, and they're just going to move on. So I think he's going to go there, and he might be able to get to start with uh, Frank Jackson in the backcourt. And then Mo Bamba, the number five player and the number two center in terms of recruiting for this next year, I think he is just like the perfect Texas recruit. He's considering Texas, Michigan, Duke, and Kentucky. Duke and Kentucky are way too loaded in the front court. To I I don't see him going to either of those places, Kentucky especially. They're way too loaded in the front court already for him to get playing time. And then Michigan, I this one's just a gut between Michigan and Texas, but he but it seems like Texas always gets a recruit every few years, some sort of center from out of nowhere who's super skilled, lots of NBA potential, and he just goes there plays really well and leaves after a year and miles turner being the most recent one so i feel like he's going to go to texas but those those are just a couple of jared allen even this year yeah and jared allen even this year i i I totally forgot about that i don't think i i I don't think he's declared yet but i imagine he'll leave um yeah no jared i'd be surprised if he stayed yeah no jared allen i I totally forgot about him he was five-star recruit um but yeah no we'll talk more about draft declarations and recruiting later this month in a podcast um but yeah we can move on to some mvp talk in the nba um i think everyone's kind of struggling right now between james harden and russell westbrook so what's your take between those between those two guys yeah i think it's a two-man race between those two um i think honestly it's going to be Russell Westbrook, I think he's going to be the first player in a, in a long time. I think it actually will be the second player ever if he wins to win on a team that is less than 50 wins. No. Uh, but I think he absolutely deserves it, even though you can argue that some of his numbers may be inflated, like his rebound numbers especially. Uh, the effort that he puts in on a nightly basis has just been ridiculous. Um, I don't like James Harden on a personal level, so I... He would never say that he deserves the MVP just because he's not a good leader, and he he sandbags a lot, especially on defense. Um, but he, another thing that he said just just made me a little more frustrated with him. He was talking about rest, and he was I think he was just trying to essentially take a shot at LeBron, or just like yeah, good luck doing that. Um, but he said something along the lines of um, how many games you play or how much rest you you take should. Um, be a factor in the MVP discussion. And I just read that and I thought, all you're trying to do is start press for yourself. Um, because I wouldn't care if LeBron rested like a quarter of the season and James Harden didn't sit a single minute. Like James Harden, I mean, LeBron James is still a better player than James Harden and he always will be. Yeah, that that so. is a fair point. Interesting that he brought that up. I imagine he was probably prompted or something. But, it, you know... James and Russell Westbrook have played in every game this season, and they pretty much have to for their teams to be good. But I agree with you. 
it's it comes down to who who has been most important to their team. And you take someone like LeBron off the Cavs, they're not going to make the playoffs really. And and yeah, my pick right now is Westbrook as well. Uh, we saw the other night he was ridiculous in the clutch. I mean, he hit this three pointer coming down off transition to tie it up and go into OT against the Magic, and it was nuts. And the thing is, he's not even a phenomenal shooter. And so for him to do something like that to help his team win, that, I mean, I'm not saying he wins the MVP off that game, but that's just one instance of how important he is to this team. Uh, and then obviously averaging a triple-double is insane. Uh, I don't think LeBron is really in the – I mean, you said you said two-man race. I think it was a four-man race at one point. I don't think LeBron's really in the running anymore because the Cavs have fallen off so much. Um, and then Kawhi – Still the dark horse. Yeah, some would argue he's a top two NBA player, but he just there's something about I, the Spurs system works so well that even if you take him out, they're going to be a good team. And so for that reason, I don't think he wins it. But yeah, no, I was watching the Knicks game earlier, uh, and Jeff and Gundy was talking about I still would vote for Westbrook and Harden if they let me do a two-person ballot, and I thought that was really interesting because. A lot of people this year have been pushing the NBA to say, hey, can we just do co-MVPs, you know, break the rules for this one year so that both guys can get it? Because they, a lot of people think neither of these guys deserves to be snubbed, so we want both of them to win it. So do, do you think that the NBA would, would budge on that and let them do co-MVPs? I don't think they would. Um, just for the sake of tradition, mainly, um, you know, you look back and there's a long history of MVPs and there were probably plenty of years where there were multiple players that were deserving. Um, I mean, you go all the way back to like Oscar Robertson and Will Chamberlain. I think that I, and maybe I may be wrong, but I think the year that Oscar Robertson averaged a triple double was the same year that Will scored like 50 a game. So that also would have been a good time to give co-MVPs, but it didn't happen. Um, and then the other thing is you mentioned uh, LeBron and Kawhi, and honestly, I think either Harden or Westbrook is going to win it. But I would have I would not have Harden in my top three. I would have LeBron and Kawhi in over him if I were voting, simply because I think those three guys, Westbrook, James, and Kawhi, all affect the game at every single level on every single play. Um, especially Westbrook and Kawhi. Um, you see Harden's highlights, and they are all dribble moves or three-pointers or passes, especially this year. He's gotten a lot better at passing, so kudos to him for that. that. But um, Kawhi, half of his highlights are, are good, you know, upside defensive reads and blocks and timely steals and hustle plays, and he is just – this may be a result of just him being drafted by the Spurs, but he is just the, the quintessential team player. And that's, why I, I, that's the reason I would have him above. Um, yeah, two ballot. things I want to mention before we talk about the playoffs a little bit. Uh, Kawhi actually has more career steals than he does fouls, so I thought that was pretty incredible. And then also uh, you meant, yeah, and then That's also you mentioned um, uh, the Will Chamberlain Oscar Robertson year. Neither of them won MVP that year. Bill Russell did, uh, and you're right. Wilt did average fifty a game, and Oscar Robertson yep. averaged triple double. So I mean, people have gotten snubbed before, and so someone's going to have to get snubbed this year. Um, so let's talk about some playoffs here, real quick. Uh, the Cavs struggling so much. They're 29th in defensive rating since the All Star break. First time LeBron has lost double digit games in a month since his rookie year. 
Celtics now the number one seed. They got a 61% chance of keeping that number one seed according to 538. So do you think this matters? I mean, everyone talks about, you know, it doesn't matter. The Cavs are talented. They'll make it to the finals anyway. But it, it, it is a little bit bothersome to me that the Cavs are playing so bad right now. Yeah, I don't think it I don't think the seating necessarily matters, and I know that you have this in your notes. Um, but I don't I think this. I don't think the seating necessarily matters. I think it's the fact that they are a slump going into the playoffs that matters. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much right on point right there. I, um, I, I don't. I'm not sure that they can get their defense intact in time for the playoffs because it's just so bad right now. Seating has never been a problem for LeBron. He always makes the finals. But if they can't get their defense intact, it doesn't matter even if they're the number one seed. I'm not sure that they could make the finals with that kind of defense. Uh, the Warriors have looked unstoppable. I mean, they hit that slump when Durant went out initially. I mean, they just won at San Antonio, and they were down like 20 in the first quarter. When they get Kevin Durant back, I mean, is this is this pretty much like game over for everyone else? Um, I would be very surprised if – if the Warriors do not win a title, especially with the collapse of the Cavaliers, I think the only team that could possibly knock them out would be the San Antonio Spurs. But at this point, I don't see that. Um, Steph Curry looks like he has his game back from from his unanimous MVP year last year. Um, part of that may be due to the fact that he is, again, the focal point now that Kevin Durant is out. Um, but I think even before then, they were learning to work uh, better together. So... Even if Kevin Durant doesn't come back, this is still just as good, if not a better team than um, than than last year's team. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, at this point, it would be a shocker if the, if the Warriors didn't win the title, which is a little bit troubling because you kind of like to see parity a little bit, but no one can challenge them at this point, and um, it'll it'll be interesting to see come final time. But we're not even to the playoffs yet, and right now. There's only one spot remaining in the West. Portland now at a 99% chance, according to 538, to make it. The Nuggets and the Pelicans still hanging in, barely. Um, Portland, that Yusuf Nurkic trade, looking absolutely brilliant right now. Nurkic is playing out of his mind. He had a monster game against the Nuggets, uh, you know, in his kind of revenge game against the organization. Um, but, yeah, no, Portland, they, they look more like the team of recent years rather than the team of this year. Um, and so it looks like they're going to hold on to that eight seed. But in the East, there is still there are still a few playoff spots left. It looks like the Bucks are going to keep on at number five. Uh, and then, sorry, one second here. Oh, yeah, it looks like the Hawks are probably going to keep on as well at number six. But the Bulls, Pacers, and Heat are battling for those last three spots, or the last two spots, I'm sorry. Um, and only two of those teams are going to get it. And it seems like at this point, you know, it feels like those three teams should be in the playoffs the way that they've been playing. The Heat especially, you know, with their incredible win streak based on the personnel that they have. The Bulls somehow salvaged together a playoff season potentially. But out of these three teams, which two do you think are going to make it? Um, I think it will probably be the I'm going to say the Bulls and Pacers, uh, mostly because I, I, I think near the end of the season and in the playoffs, what it comes down to is um, those players like Russell Westbrook and LeBron James that can 
will your team into wins. And I think the Bulls and the Pacers and uh, Jimmy Butler and Paul George have that more so than the Heat do. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you there. The only thing, the only worry with the Pacers is that I've, there have been quotes coming out about how Paul George is saying we're in a bad spot right now. No one really cares about winning, which is interesting considering they're, they might make the playoffs. Um, you usually hear that from, from teams outside the playoffs like like the Kings or the Knicks or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, Paul George is a guy that the Heat don't even – close to have i mean they have like hassan whiteside like their best player Dion waiters maybe this season but i mean eric spolstra i think the one thing about this season that's been successful is eric spolstra has shown hey i'm not i wasn't just good because i had lebron and Dwayne wade like i am legitimately a good coach so i applaud him for that and he I, well actually who do you think would win coach of the year this year it might be him i don't know i'm i never no, as much as an, the MVP race is kind of questionable to me because, you know, there's certain players like LeBron James, so if you're actually giving it to the best player in the league, would win every single year. The coach of the year race is even more interesting to me because it's pretty much always whoever exceeds expectations, and a lot of that may not even be due to the coach. Um, so I, I think Eric Spolster could win it. I think there's a number of coaches who could win it. Um, Greg Popovich could win it. He could win it every single year, though. Again, that's the same argument as LeBron James winning the MVP every year. I could see Eric winning it. A couple more news and notes before we sign off here. Uh, Lance Stevenson, he's been cut by like four teams this year, and then all of a sudden the Pacers decided to throw two years, $12 million at him. I have no idea where that came from. I've never seen a contract like that so late in the year. Uh, so I'm not sure what they're doing there. Um, and then also Larry Sanders, recently signed by the Cavs, been playing in the D-League recently. Uh, they need some more help in the post. And so he was just, I mean, like 10 minutes before we started this podcast, just recalled from the D-League to join the Cavaliers. Um, yeah, so any other thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. The Stevenson thing is weird. Um, I don't know what made him so good in Indy when he was originally there. Maybe he gets that back, but I doubt it. Um, I honestly don't know what the Cavs are doing either maybe they're looking into medical marijuana and so they're getting an expert on the team <laughs> yeah that uh, that would be interesting uh yeah so look forward for another podcast later in april when we get into recruiting season uh draft combine season and of course the nba playoffs and also look for potentially a rebrand of our website but we will still be doing the nothing but net podcast so thanks for joining us